And a good morning to you and welcome to the show. The Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you by Mizuno Golf, Reach Beyond, by Club Car, the ultimate utility and personal vehicle, by RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community, by Bridgestone Golf, get fit for the new Tour B, and by Palms. Enjoy the benefits of being a member at cpalms.com. On the show, we're going to talk with John Krasnowak of Golf Data Tech about the growth of golf participation and who's selling what and who are the best folks to be buying from. Plus, Brad Adams of Bloodline Putters will tell us about the new Vail putter. And then we'll talk with PGA Tour caddy and good friend Paul Tesori about the conditions at the Masters and the RBC Heritage, in addition to Webb's schedule for the rest of the season. But first up is Golf Data Tech's John Grasmiak. Good morning, John, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good, how are you? Is there a snow in Chicago? Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's going to be 80 today, but we had about two inches of rain yesterday, so all the golf courses are now flooded rather than covered in snow. So Either, either way, you can't play. <laughs> no, no, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. If we, I actually haven't had a chance to play a full 18 holes. You know, it's a little hit, nine here, nine there, but yeah. it's pretty miserable. Well, that, it'll change, hopefully. Um, all right. So, John, what is the state of golf at this point as far as participation? Well, participation-wise, uh, certainly the pandemic was actually, you know, in, in kind of a strange way, it was good for golf. Right. Because uh, golf was an outdoor activity that you could go participate in and, and socially interact with people without being in an enclosed space. So it, it did very well. Uh, the number of golfers went up. Uh, about 800,000 over the past two years. So we hmm. went from roughly 24 million to just under 25 million total golfers. And uh, more importantly, people went out and played more often, you know, so that was really the big change. And I'm sure uh, people in your area, uh, your listeners are seeing, you know, if they play at a public course, there, there's, it's hard to get a tee time, right. uh, particularly in prime time. And, if they play at uh, a, a private course or they're trying to get into a private course, the, the fees have gone up substantially. Uh, there's waiting lists now, which, uh, you know, three years ago, if you had said there's going to be waiting lists at a, at a private club, people would have just laughed at you. Yeah. They were, they were all dying. You know? yeah. it, it's really, really has changed a lot. Well, I know rounds where I saw your reports, rounds were down in January compared to January last year, mostly due to weather, do you think? Well, yeah, weather has a lot to do with it. We, we've we seen uh, January was down, February was up, March is down again. Hmm. Um, you, what we've seen is a, uh, particularly in these early months, weather is so, is so impactful because right. it's only being played in a few small places like the southeast uh, and, and in the, uh, the desert west primarily, and that's where most of the rounds come from. So if you have any kind of bad weather in either of those two places, it really has a negative effect on, on rounds. And uh, just, and particularly in those markets, people generally don't want to go out when it's 45 degrees and, and, you know, windy and maybe drizzling here in Chicago, people are like, that's a nice day. Let's go play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people that are in the Northeast or in the Midwest will play in weather that some of us in the Southeast and out West in the desert will not play. Oh yeah, I mean, San Diego is a great example of that. Uh, you know, I, all the most of the uh, the large 
equipment companies are out there and you, and you talk to people out there and they're like, oh, it's 60. So nobody's going to play. We're not going <laughs> to play today. You know, yeah. So it's a little cool, a little windy. It'll be nice tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. We, yeah, we've got 365 days. We're not going to go out when it's under 40 and the wind is blowing. Exactly. You don't, you don't get uh, much for rain suit sales in San Diego. And, you know, whereas in, uh, if you live in Portland, Oregon, you sell a lot of rain suits. Yeah. So what are some of the hot spots for golf right now? I mean, I know Bandon Dunes is hot. I mean, when the weather is great, Whistling Straits, Kohler is, sure. is hot. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We find that uh, any of the resorts right now are doing great. I mean, Pinehurst is a great example. They um, Even during the pandemic, the a lot of the resorts, if they were open, because, you know, during the shutdown period, right. they obviously were hurting. But um, what they lost were the people coming from overseas, you know, because people couldn't travel. So you couldn't get the uh, the junkets coming in from Asia or, or from Germany. But, um, what they found was they found a lot of their local people came, you know, so people would drive two hours or an hour and a half to come right. play at Pinehurst or, or Pebble beach. And so, uh, so golf is, it's pretty hot everywhere. You know, it's not, uh, not easy to find a tea time at any of the, any of the big resorts. And, and usually it's coming at a premium, right? Price wise. Yeah. So true. So yeah. what were your thoughts on this year's PGA show? Um, I personally, I did not go. Uh, we were there as a company. Right. I didn't come from Chicago. We had, uh, we have a partner in, in, um, in Florida who was there and covered it for us. Uh, we still had our booth. Uh, I mean, the show itself, from what I've heard from all our clients and, and people I know who were there, the people who did go to the show actually found it to be quite beneficial because the, the really large brands stayed away. Right. So that gave, even though there were a lot fewer people there, they, they it gave them a chance to visit and uh, uh, get to see some product that they typically wouldn't because they might have, you know, usually spent in two hours in the Titleist booth, two hours in the Callaway booth, uh, uh, some time in the Ping booth, and they've only got an hour and they run up and down the aisles. Right. This year they had the time to actually go spend and, and, you know, talk to the guy who's selling T markers or, or, uh, you know, trophies. And, and so it actually was beneficial. And the apparel companies who were there said it was very good. Yeah. I found it more engaging because people had more time in the booths and you had more time. I had more time to talk with the folks because you weren't, as you said, going to the big manufacturers, trying to get in, talk with them and then run back and forth to the booths. I just found it more engaging. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also, um, <laughs> it was the first chance a lot of people had to interact in person in a long time. Right. And it, so it, uh, it, it probably felt good. I, I know I have my first, first trip out to California coming up, uh, in, in another week. It's the first time I've been out there since February, 2020. And usually I'm there every four or five wow. weeks. So, uh, kind of looking forward to the inner in-person face-to-face interactions. Yeah. Something that, uh, I think we've all missed for a lot of reasons, but, uh, yeah. who are some of the manufacturers, John, that are doing well in sales right now? Well, it, it virtually, I, it's been the, um, I'd say all manufacturers had a good, have had a good couple of years, you know, it's the old, um, rising tide lifts all boats. And so that's, it's been, 
very beneficial. Uh, the overall sales in, in the golf equipment category were up uh, 40%, 50%. So strong. And, yeah. and they've been constrained simply by availability. Uh, you know, the, you, some specific drivers or, or iron sets or putters, they were hard to come by because they were uh, perhaps made overseas and it was just very difficult to get get the product here. So all brands have done pretty well uh, when measured against each other. When you look at the um, the brands and you know who's gaining market share, et cetera, it's it's the uh, usual suspects in that the, the the industry is like many industries in the United States. It's getting more and more dominated by fewer and fewer brands. So right. you have you know, Callaway, TaylorMade, Titleist, Ping, <coughs> Bridgestone and Balls, right. Srixon, Cleveland. All those brands are doing really well. And uh, it's become harder and harder for the, the small guy to get in unless they are uh, going through non-traditional uh, means such as direct-to-consumer, <laughs> which we you know you see like the, the, the Snells and the Vice in the Ball category. Right. Is how much longer do you think, um, in your estimation, do you think that the club manufacturers are going to have these supply chain issues? Well, from what we've heard, it, it could last a while. Uh, we we had, did see in the month of March inventory start to grow at retail. Um, so some products are getting there that are now being filled into the you know the back rooms of the retailers, which for a long time we haven't seen that. It's just right. inventory levels have continued to go down, down, down. Uh, they're now starting to grow back, um, but just based on what we're hearing, you know, not just in golf but on a macro level, the uh, the supply chain issues are going to continue. You know, you continue to read about the the lockdowns in Shenzhen and, and in China. Uh, it, and those um, Shanghai, those all will affect golf, believe it or not, because the product has to be made, much of right. it is made in, in somewhere in China, and then it fl flows through the major ports, has to find its way here. You still have the backups in in, uh, in Long Beach and in, in L.A., and, and that's probably not going to end anytime soon. And that's going to affect prices somewhere down the line. It's got to. Yeah. Well, yeah, prices have gone up quite a bit over the past few years. I mean, we've seen it with um, uh, certainly the two categories that have the, the largest price increases have been drivers and and putters. Um, it's funny, when we started tracking the, the golf industry back in 1997, the average price of a putter was uh, $81. Hmm. Today, the average price of a putter is well over $200. Wow. So that price change, you know, and that includes all putters sold. So that sure. includes a, a starter set that's got a $20 putter as well as, uh, you know, a very high end $600 putter. And that, but it just goes to show how dramatic the, the price increases have been. And uh, as such, putter, people don't change their putters as often. I mean, I, I know uh, when I first started in the golf business back in the 80s, people used to laugh that, uh, you know, if a guy's putting poorly, he will change putters at at the ninth 
after he, he finishes on the ninth green. Yeah. You know, go in the pro shop, grab a new putter, say, put it on my account, and he'll probably right. do one. Now right. it's a considered purchase. There's no instantaneous gratification. Yeah, either that or they're looking at the price tag before they say, put it on my bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's changed a lot. You know, and, and a, a driver just, I don't know, maybe six years ago, I think it was, it was probably the average price of a driver was a couple hundred dollars. Today yeah. it's, it's well over $400. Yeah. So yeah, the prices have continued to rise. Well, it's going to be interesting what happens for the rest of the year. John, we'll definitely talk again about some more things, but I appreciate you taking the time this morning to talk with us. Thanks. Sounds good. Thank you, Rich. All right. Take care. Take care. Uh, John with Golf Data Tech uh, talking about uh, the prices, uh, who's got what, and uh, that the supply chains are probably going to last a little bit longer. Our next guest is going to be Brad Adams of Bloodline Putters, and we'll be right back on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Webb Simpson, PGA Tour. You're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Glad you're with us. Our next guest is Brad Adams, who has been in the golf industry for many years. He's now with Bloodline Putters. Good morning, Brad, and thank you for being with us this morning. Yeah, my pleasure, Rich. Thank you. You've worked in the golf industry for many years. What did you see missing in the putter category that prompted you to start Bloodline? Well, I, I spent uh, a number of years when we started Odyssey, uh, you know, working out there on tour with the players. And what was interesting to me was <clears throat> how many of these great players, you know, they spent so much time on their alignment. I would get behind them and they would ask, you know, where exactly they were lined up. I would tell them, you know, you're trying to line up on the right lip or whatever. They, I would tell them they're six inches right of that. I'd hold the putter for them. <laughs> they would go look at it, and it was, uh, you know, kind of that aha moment. And so I figured that, I mean, if these are the greatest players in the world, and they're not always right on, you know, what they're seeing in relation to right. what their, their perception is, uh, that the average person you know, this is definitely going to make the difference. And, and that's what, uh, you know, when the average guy sets up with the putter, lets go of it and gets behind it and sees where he's actually lined up, it's, uh, you know, seven, eight times out of ten, they're not lined up where they really think they are. So do you think that's the biggest issue with putters is that golfers, even with their dominant eye, are not lined up correctly? They're either to the right or left? I think it's definitely the easiest one they can correct. Okay. Uh, because it's something that when, you know, a lot of the players that they're, say they're missing the putt to the right uh, or, or left or whatever they're doing, you know, they start messing around with their stroke when actually their stroke was okay. It was their alignment. So I think if you can eliminate that variable, that allows you to, to get better. Then you know if you're missing it to the right or, or left. Uh, and you were lined up where you wanted to be, now you can start making adjustments with your stroke. All right. You were with another company, and you developed and co-authored the polymer insert. How did you come up with that? Uh, and that was at the time where the golf ball was starting to, uh, uh, I think it was the, the Lottie uh, ball, I think Bridgestone had started it right before the Pro-V. And so you had these you know, real good players, that we're able to get the spin and more distance instead of just the distance. Now they were able to get the spin, but they were lacking the feel of the ballada ball. And so what we did with that polymer was we were able to give the player, uh, you know, they wouldn't sacrifice the feel with that insert of the, 
of the polymer. Uh, and so that, that kind of helped that transition. All right. Tell us about your new putters, especially the veil putter. Right. So, so the new putters, you know, obviously the focus is on the alignment and, and the field. And so what we've done with the veil is really magnified the uh, alignment lines uh, as well as the balance of the putter. It's a, a face balance putter and it's got uh, really accentuates the, the three lines. <clears throat> and what that does is it, it makes it so much easier Time-wise, it's more efficient than, you know, how guys use the lines on the golf ball. Right. Well, this is much easier to see, and you don't have to, you know, bend over to keep adjusting it. You can just, you know, manipulate the, the grip. So it's a lot easier, and it's uh, uh, time-wise, it's a lot faster to be able to do that than with the lines on the golf ball. And is that why you came up with the standalone feature on your putters, so people could actually get behind, check their alignment? That is exactly, uh, it was really something that I had been thinking about for, uh, for years. When we started Odyssey, when we first started Odyssey, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Roger Evans who invented the original stand-up putter. And I always thought, you know, I, I, re I recommended uh, where he was getting his golf shafts from, and he was selling a ton of these putters. But they were, they were not quite something that a, a serious player would use, uh, they, they had a heavier shaft, yeah. so you had to have a very heavy head to allow it to stand up. So with partnering with Larry Bishman, who created the Diamante shaft, uh, we were able to, to create a shaft that allows us to have a, a normal you know, head uh, that, that a tour player would use. I mean, VJ's won three times on the Champions Tour, all three times with our putter. Ernie Els is one out there. Adam Svensson's one. Um, it, so it, having that lightweight shaft with uh, lightweight grip allows us to have a putter head that a serious player would use. All right, you mentioned Ernie. How did you and Ernie get together? Actually, met Ernie was probably 25 years ago when we were just starting Odyssey. So I worked with Ernie on putters, you know, for, uh, I've worked on putters for years with him. And, uh, when we came up with the, the bloodline putter and Ernie saw it, Ernie just recognized how it could help him because if you recall when he won the British Open, it was like 2012, his fourth of his majors, he had been working with an eye specialist. So Ernie has always been into the visualization uh, and how important that is for putting. And when he saw this putter, he, he knew it could help him, but he knew it could also help you know, millions of golfers. And you're working with Ernie with one of his favorite projects, Autism. Correct. Yeah, and this is uh, Autism Month this April, so we're donating a, a good portion of all our sales to his oh, uh, cool. foundation. And uh, and obviously, that's uh, as much as Ernie's been, uh, you know, a Hall of Fame golfer. You know, in his own words, he says what he's been able to uh, do for. Uh, with his center and everything for autism means more than anything he's ever accomplished on the golf course. So we're proud to be part of that. Yeah. It's really nice when they can do more things off the golf course than they can that mean more uh, than they can on the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what he and Liesl, his family, Samantha, everybody has done with, uh, with that program. 
All right, let me ask you this. When you begin research on new designs or, you know, the new veil putter, what is the process and how far back do you go before you're able to bring it to everybody that they have a chance to buy it? Is it a year? Is it two years? Or is it longer than that? No, I, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, 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 guess right there. Between one to two years is normally about okay. the length of time. Um, you know, it, it has been because of uh, some things with supply chains and, and different things. Some things are taking a little bit longer right now. But, uh, but it, it's about uh, one to two years should be about the time uh, from, you know, creating the idea to being able to, to bring it to market. And we talked about, you know, the alignment that a lot of putters and a lot of people using those putters will line up incorrectly. Uh, and sometimes they change putters just to get a different visual. So do you think, since you've studied putting all these years, is it really in their head, or is it really the putter? As far as the alignment, I mean, there, there are certain head shapes, certain uh, 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 lines on the putter that can help someone out. But, you know, it really comes down to, uh, I, you know, I believe that being able to visualize the ball on the intended line. So by having the putter standing up behind the ball and when you stand behind it, it you being able to see, almost visualize yourself making right. that putt, that's very powerful. And it, that really, you know, gives people confidence. And when you're standing up over some of these putts, and, uh, you know, I would say the left-to-right putt is probably, for a right-handed player, the the, the putt that the guys have the hardest time with. Definitely. And you don't commit to it. Right. And you kind of make a half-hearted stroke. And, and when you do that, you know, you're nine times out of ten, you're going to miss that putt. So yeah. when you can be committed fully to the putt, it's going to give you a much better chance to make it. And, and when you're, you know, when you have confidence that you're lined up where you're trying to, that's going to help you, you know, make that committed stroke. So you are correct because my weakest putt is left to right, and I'm usually under the hole because I don't give it enough speed. Right, and most most of the people that I work with, once I get them to be, and a lot of them are doing that because you know they're in the back of their mind, they're they're not sure that they're aimed where they want to be aimed. Right, and so so they just kind of you know make a little bit of a weak stroke because of that. Yeah. Yeah, weak stroke is correct. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but that that is it. Uh, Brad, give it really us. Really is, you know, we're just trying to eliminate those variables yeah. as much as we can. And obviously, you got to read the putt, and you've got to hit it on the right speed. But if we can at least let you know that you're lined up where you're trying to be lined up, then you can check that box and and you know move forward and hopefully, uh, you know, give it a give it a solid solid stroke, a committed yeah. stroke. Yeah, at least put a, a, a tick mark next to, I've got it lined up correctly. Now I just need to work on the brake and my speed. Right. And that's, you know, so that's with us, with our putters, trying to give people, you know, every putters are so personal. It's not every, some people like a mallet, some like a yeah. blade, some yeah. like offset, some like, you know, center shaft. So you're not, you're never going to, with one putter design, you're never going to get everybody so right what we're trying to do obviously with the alignment check that box but now as we grow the company we're trying to give you know different looks of putters uh so hopefully we can you know get more players well give us your website brad so our listeners can go to it and check out your bloodline putters sure it's 
bloodline.golf, G-O-L-F. Easy enough. Brad, thank you for being with us. Appreciate your time. And uh, can't wait to uh, go out and align myself more correctly. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. Now, are, are you a White Sox or a Cubs uh, guy? I grew up a White Sox fan, but I got to play in Wrigley Field when I was in high school, so I became a Cubs fan. Oh, there you go. That, that, that's awesome. How about you? You know what? I'm one of those rare guys that I actually like uh, on both teams, which some people can't understand that. <laughs> but uh, I grew up in McHenry, which is a little bit outside of Chicago. Yep. So I didn't have that, you know, the north side people want to kill the south side people and yep. vice versa. Yep, that's probably still the case. Brad, thank you for being with us. I appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks. All right, you too. Brad Adams with Bloodline Golf. Go to Bloodline Golf. No, Bloodline.golf. That's what you need to go to to check out their putters. Our next guest is Paul Tesori. He'll be with us in just a minute. But first, who has the best deep dish pizza in town? It's CJ's Italian restaurant across from Parker's on Mallory Street on St. Simon's Island. CJ's makes their deep dish and thin crusts every day, along with homemade salad dressings, meatballs, and their famous hoagies. They've also got great apps, pasta dishes, beer, wine, and they open up at 4.30. So dine in with your friends or family or take out. It's just that easy. Give them a call. They've got a couple places parked outside the restaurant. You can just drive up. They'll bring it out to you. Deep Dish is their game. At CJ's Italian Restaurant, check out their full menu one of the island favorites at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. This is Will Carter with C Palms, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rich Style. And welcome back. Our next guest is a good friend, PGA Tour caddy Paul Tesori. Good morning, Paul. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rich. How you doing, buddy? Always love being on with you guys. I love having you. Uh, first off, I want to congratulate you on qualifying for your senior event. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, why did you have to, like, really pronounce senior so strong, Rich? Come on now. <laughs> because we <I'm>, both are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. Yeah, it, it was good. Uh, I had been on the road for six weeks, and uh, I had a Monday qualifier for the Florida Senior Open and played in a professional event in about 20 years. So uh, I'm excited about that. It'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, down south around Fort Myers, and getting paired with Gary Cope the first two days, so that'll be interesting. We can share some good stories, hopefully, and um, anytime I get to compete, I feel like it makes me a little better at my job, and, you know, it's always nice to get that kind of competitive juices going. Well, I'm excited for you. When is that? It'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this coming up week. Uh, oh. Well, hopefully Wednesday. Got to make the cut first, but um, so just uh, two days from now, and uh, it'll be a, hopefully a three-day battle and, and see what we got. Awesome. Well, good luck to that. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Tell us about Weber's injury. Uh, you and I talked and you said you were going up to Charlotte because Weber was feeling better. You were going to work on some things. What was going on? Yeah. So, uh, last year for the first time, um, Weber was practicing at home. Um, he felt a little something in his neck, not much, just like a little bit of a, a catch. No problem. Um, Wells Fargo was that week and he woke up Tuesday morning. It was a little more stiff. This was last year, last May. Um, and he couldn't really get it to, uh, loosen up by the time Wednesday morning came. Um, he couldn't really move to be honest with you. So, hmm. uh, it was one of those situations that it was a little bit out of the middle of nowhere. Um, he missed three events. And then by the time he got back, it was still kind of sitting there, went away. And unfortunately, this year, we had started to get a little bit of momentum going. Um, we played well at RSM last year, and 
Sony, we didn't finish well, but we're really starting to hit the golf ball the way he knows how. And we were excited for Phoenix and went out to Phoenix and on Tuesday morning woke up and could barely move and got some pretty bad news about he has an acute herniation um, in his neck. And, you know, it's just going to be time will tell now. Uh, they had to change the workout programs a little bit. We have to change the golf swing a little bit. Webb has two moves in his golf swing that kind of puts more pressure on his neck. So we're trying to get rid of those moves too. And so just really in a transition period right now, trying to alleviate some of the strain on his neck. So how would you describe the season so far? Um, optimistic or not really where we had planned to be? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I got a few words to describe. I'd say frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I'm even going to throw out the word uh, scary uh, in, a, in, a, in a way. You know, it's, we just played five of the last six weeks. Uh, we were really, really excited about the prospect of those tournaments. Um, you know, we had, uh, we were in eighth place at Tampa after two days, played one bad round on Saturday and that sent us into the, you know, kind of back of the pack on the weekend. Um, at Augusta, we were in 12th going in the last day and played poorly. Uh, Hilton head again, just, you know, one poor round. And those are golf courses typically where Webb plays really well. Uh, he keeps playing three round golf tournaments, as we say, and hmm. he's having a hard time putting four rounds together. Since he's come back, confidence isn't quite you know, where he would want it. A little bit of anxiety on the greens. Again, I think just from, again, you know, being gone for so long, being absent from tournament golf, you get kind of thrust right in the middle of it again. Right. Your desires are really high. Your expectations are really high. And it can sometimes be a little bit of a messy area to get through. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I think we're 122nd or third on the FedEx Cup. We haven't really ever been at this point. At, uh, you know, this, we're already halfway through the golf tournaments for the year. So I think a little bit scary, a little bit frustrated, but, you know, hopeful, I think, for the rest of the year. And so when is your team going back out again? What's the schedule? Yeah, so we'll play Wells Fargo, which is up in Maryland this year because of the President's Cup, being in Webb's backyard there at Quail Hollow. So our next tournament will be out in D.C. for the Wells, uh, you know, we've, one of the biggest things we've talked about here in the last couple of weeks has just been, is our process right? We've preached that ever since I went to work for Webb 12 years ago. The only thing I kind of put into play is like, hey, we have to have a process. We have to know our process is right. And no matter what happens, we have to keep pushing down that route. And we feel like the process is right. Um, the golf swing changes are tough. Webb's not a big changer, but we have to do it for his neck. Um, the stuff that we've been working on in the short game is really showing through, um, kind of putting mechanics is showing through. We're just going to have to find a way to remain patient. And, and, you know, my favorite line about being patient is from Corey Pavin back in the day who said, I want to be patient. I just want to be patient right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the way we all feel when it comes to patience. And, um, it's hard when you're in the middle of it. Um, and we know just how fleeting this game can be. It's a hard game. And when you're playing well, it feels like it's never going to go away. We were fourth in the world two years ago with three chances to take over number one, and now here we are barely inside the top 50 fighting just for a playoff spot. So we just have to remember if the process is right, stay patient, keep working on your goals, and uh, hopefully the rest of it will take care of itself. All right. Paul, you said you played five out of six weeks. That usually is not the schedule for Weber. You would normally not play that many weeks in a row. Was that due to the injury and you're just trying to catch up a little bit? Yep, absolutely it is. You know, Webb's biggest goal for a couple of years now has been able to make this President's Cup team in his backyard right. uh, at Quail Hollow. Um, you know, when he missed all those events, he had already taken time off. Uh, we missed four events with the neck injury. 
um, which was hard on him. Obviously, those are ones that we had penciled off in the schedule. And so, yeah, we had to kind of jam a few in there. We're going to play two extra the rest of the year as well just to try to get some momentum going and also obviously get some much-needed FedEx Cup points and President's Cup points as well. So um, he's doing a better job when he's home, just taking care of his body and trying to rest, work on a short game a lot. And when we get on the road, get right back to work. All right. How tough, let's go back a couple of weeks. How tough were the conditions at the Masters? I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, really tough. I don't really know how else to explain it. You know, you get, here's the good news. We, we actually had a tougher day the next week at Hilton Head. Here's the thing about Augusta that is so genius. Even in conditions like that, you feel like on most of the holes, let's say 16 of the 18 holes, that you have an out. Which just means, okay, hey, we're a little confused right now with the wind's doing. It's supposed to be in two out of the left. It feels down out of the right. Let's bail out here. I'd say every hole, with the exception of number 12 and number 15, there's a bailout, like where I know I can hit this golf ball and I know where it's going to go. Right. You know, 12, you're trying to be smart on 12. You're trying to aim it 45 feet left of the hole in that one part of the green. But the part of the green we're aiming at, people don't realize it's only 11 yards deep. Uh, the front bunker's not great. The back bunker's not great. And we saw plenty of guys hit it in the back. You know, Azalea's back there. And I think a few guys got lucky, and the ball came out and came back. I remember Tiger's ball did that. And then other guys didn't get lucky, and it stayed up Yeah, uh, back in the Azalea. So that's one holes. And then 15, I mean, it was, it was so hard that day. Uh, we had 80 yards in and didn't really know how we were going to hit the green. Uh, the whole conversation was, okay, what can we do here? just to try to get this thing on the back edge. And um, we got fortunate, hit a good shot about 13 feet, and uh, we definitely ran to the next hole. And, you know, it, it's one of those things you get out. Now, Hilton Head that next week, we had a day that it was the hardest day of caddying I've ever been a part of. It was on Friday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, literally you'd have 20 miles an hour straight into you, and you would hit, and the wind would flip in some of those gaps, and it would go downwind. We were over 18 yards off on three shots in 18 holes. Uh, And we thought we were doing the right thing at the right time, hitting little flighty chips into the wind, and the wind would flip uh, as you were hitting. So, you know, those are things that kind of stink about golf in the moment, but we also know it's part of the game uh, and try to move forward. But, yeah, those days are tough. Yeah, when you're working on things, you know, especially working on a new swing with his neck injury, the wind can even be more frustrating uh, even when you think you've got it figured out. Yeah, I agree with that. Typically for us, we like wind. We like tougher conditions. We feel like it kind of separates guys who are are really confident, who are great thinkers, uh, who are good strikers like Webb is. But I I would be honest, during this little stretch we're in right now, I'd like to have some calm days just so we can get a true judge about where we are. Um, You know, are we as far off as it feels? Are we closer than we think? Um, and, yeah, we definitely haven't had that from TPC to Tampa to Augusta and then Hilton Head. I mean, it has been, you know, we've had at least two days every week where it's blown 15 to 25, and those are tough, especially in a lot of these tree-line courses that we've been playing each week. All right, when when y'all miss a cut, which is not very often, what do you and Weber go over after the round or, uh, you know, kind of do an analysis of what of what happened? Yeah, what a great question. Yeah, so we do something similar almost every tournament. Um, I would say that we talk usually on Monday or Tuesday after, or if we've missed the cut, Saturday or Sunday. We just kind of go over the mistakes, and we try to look at, okay, is there anything to learn from? Okay. Um, you know, the, the first week, the missed cut at TPC, it was his first week after six weeks off after the injury. 
and going through, there was just a lot of, he had a really difficult time committing to golf shots. And, I mean, TPC is a tough golf course to commit to when you've been playing every week. Right. And you've had six weeks off. Your game's already a little rusty. His mind was a little rusty. Probably his caddy was a little rusty. And there's just so many shots there that are very intimidating that you just have to, okay, this is a shot I'm going to hit. I'm going to pull it off, and we're going to move forward. And right. he just had a really hard time committing in quite a few of those areas. I think we missed the cut by two. Uh, he grinded hard, but again, and I think we're still seeing that with one time or one round each week where we're having a difficulty fully committing. Uh, and again, the courses I just said that we've gone through, the match play, Tampa, CPC, Hilton at Augusta, these are tree-line golf courses with the winds whipping through there and a lot of intimidating golf shots. Right. Distance control is just vital, and um, we're just having a hard time putting that together so far. And the next course we're playing out in D.C., uh, it's not any better. It's a very difficult golf course, small greens. But typically that's a good setup for Weber. Um, we just need to have one of those weeks where you get, you know, everybody talks about momentum. We just need some momentum. You know, we need a top 15, a top 10, just something to kind of get, okay, I can still do this right. and hopefully get the train running. Right. Well, Paulie, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Paul Tesori, Webb Simpson's caddy in just a minute. But are you looking for new clubs? We'll try the new Mizuno Irons 922, 923, or 925 to improve your game. These new Mizuno irons will help you reach beyond. Add the new Mizuno driver, the fairway metals, and hybrids, and you're on the way to your game improvement. Try the new models of Mizuno putters as well. Check out everything at MizunoGolf.com. Mizuno Golf, reach beyond. Hi, this is Tim Clark, president of Wilson Golf, and you are listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles, on with good friend and PGA Tour caddy Paul Tesori. Uh, Paulie, when you, when you guys are in between holes, you've got these books. Uh, well, at least Webb's got the book. What do you write down in that book during the round? I mean, I see, you know, the pencil and, you know, you're writing down scores, I know, but what else are you writing down? Yeah, so, you know, Webb's book is completely clear, and we want to make sure it's that way. Now, he's got the overall diagram of the whole that kind of stuff. But my book has all the notes and, you know, it depends where we are. Uh, almost every hole, I'm going to have something around 50 pieces of information per hole. Um, it could be anything from probably eight to 10 runouts to I'm really big about missed spots around the golf course. So I'll have missed spot information to every pin on the hole. Um, there's usually, you know, five to six pins that we can expect to see each year. So I'm going to have information uh, from every spot to each of those pins on every hole. So well, I don't want him to see all of that information. And, you know, it, it's incredible. I've been around TPC now. I probably have played well over 600 rounds at TPC and caddied another, I don't know, 200 rounds there. And I still learn things each year. Hmm. Just each year, different conditions. Well, okay, this pin, I had this missed spot is bad. But when you're into a 10-mile-an-hour wind, it was okay. And so I'll make little notes. Um, I'll make little notes and change that. So we make sure that, hey, you know, in two years, three years, if we see this again, we realize, okay, out of that northeast wind of this back right flag, short side is not that bad. Um, so those are kind of the constant things okay. I'm doing. If there's a little note, maybe I had a slight mental error, or if he did, I might write it in my book so I can go back to it later on. Um, the goal for the player is to have him look at his book the least amount as possible. Um, I learned that way back when working with VJ, who was always like, get your nose out of the book. And he didn't carry a yardage book. Um, and mm. I kind of like that. I like the guys having one, but not using it often. I need their eyes being up, looking at the green, looking at the surroundings, looking at the shot that they see. 
because golf is such a feel sport where you might have a front left flag, but the guy might see a cut to the middle of the green, or you might have a front right flag and the guy might see a draw. Right. So sometimes you have to kind of make sure that he is seeing the shot that he wants to hit, and then you make adjustments from that. So when you and I play TPC Sawgrass, which we've talked about, you don't want me yes, to carry a book. You don't want Wait, me to carry again, a book. Rich? You don't want me to carry a book with me with all my notes. <laughs> I I would definitely keep the book out of your hands, and you well, you wouldn't <laughs> want to see mine either. You would. Just, <laughs> Oh, I don't want to hit it there, 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 there. Okay, well, yeah. we don't want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, and problem uh, no, is... You'd be all right. You would be able to figure it out quick. <laughs> all right. How important is it for Weber to play on the President's Cup on his home course? You know, Rich, I, he does such a good job about not looking into the future, but I really feel like that's why this year has been even harder for him. Yeah. Um you know, we've known about the President's Cup at Quail for quite a while now. It got pushed back a year um, with the COVID um, pandemic in 2020. Um, and, yeah, Rich, I mean, I don't mind saying it. He desperately wants to make that team. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we've put ourselves so far up behind the eight ball. It's not impossible. Um, we've seen what's possible with what Scotty Scheffler has done here in the last two months. But um, it's just it's going to be really tough. His back, up's against, his back is up against the wall. You know, I think at worst, he would be an incredible assistant captain there. He's a major winner, a player's winner, been part of six teams. Um, you know, I think he would be a great asset to to the captain there. Um, you know, he wants to make the team. He wants to make the team, um, and that's all there is to it. But we have other things we have to take care of first. And good golf takes care of all your issues. So I think that's our focus right now. All right, let's change the subject. How's your golden tee ranking? <laughs> it's not very good right now. I have been in a Self-diagnosed uh, um, <laughs> semi-retirement. Uh, I play every now and then, but it is it's definitely taking a big slip. I I've been spending a lot more time watching a lot of golf lately. I, I don't know. I've kind of been. I did a, a couple little small um, things with PGA Tour Live last year. I enjoyed them. Um, you know, watching what Jay Haas just did this week. I, oh, and that. And I don't that think neat. this is getting yeah. talked enough about. Um, I mean, he's the oldest player to ever make a cut on the PGA Tour, which is an incredible stat. Sixty-eight years old. Yep. Jay Haas and Bill, Bill, I think, is 168th in the FedEx. He could have asked anybody to go play. He asked his dad. Um, you know, they're only one down. They would have beaten Colin Morikawa and Victor Hoblin, who are second in the world and fifth in the world. They would have beaten them in a match play tournament Yeah, through 36 holes, which is incredible to look at. Yeah, uh, I, You know, that's the great part about our game um, is that you can put guys in that situation they can still be successful. So, I don't know. I was nervous for them coming down the stretch yesterday, and you could see it in them, too. They had to make a, a six-footer on 16, a five-footer on 17, and a five-footer on 18 to make the cut on the number, and I was rooting hard for them as much as I could. Well, we only got a couple seconds left, but I also want you just to mention the website for the Tesori Family Foundation because we've got a picture up on screen of, of both your families. Yes, thank you. TesoriFamilyFoundation.org. Go check us out. You know, we're just trying to make a difference uh, one one child at a time and one family at a time. And we're doing everything we can, and we're just thankful for the community helping us get that done. Well, I'm thankful for you, always have been, and I'll see you at the RSM this year. Good luck uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I love that. Thank you so much. Always love being on. Let's see if we can get some good golf, and I'll come back on soon. All right, you got it. Paul Tesori, Webb Simpson's caddy, and thank you for listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show.